You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Necessary Roughness, brought to you by Southfield Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram. With 11-year NFL veteran, Big Ten Offensive Lineman of the Year, and captain of the National Championship Michigan Wolverines, John Jansen. And 10-year NFL veteran, two-time Pro Bowl offensive tackle, and Super Bowl champion with the Green Bay Packers, T.J. Lang. Now, here's John Jansen and T.J. Lang. There's a lot of people that um, obviously didn't necessarily work as much as they would have yesterday. Other jobs that were done simply because they have to be done and in 95-degree heat. Uh, This podcast has been delayed a little bit. TJ, I know that you didn't want to come outside yesterday. I didn't want to go outside yesterday because of the heat. How did you weather um, the heat wave that we saw yesterday in uh, in Metro Detroit. Yeah, I, I didn't want to go outside, but like you said, some jobs have to be done. And as the head coach of my son's Little League baseball team, we, <laughs> we had the championship game. Oh. Um, I realized early on that it was not going to be canceled or delayed. I, I don't think they had any available makeup dates for the rest of the year since we've already had four or five. Yeah. Uh, so we knew it was going to be a battle. They tried to delay it a little bit. Uh, you know, normally we start around 6, we started closer to 7, and um, I'll tell you what, the only thing that saved us, there was a slight breeze that came in in the afternoon nice last breeze. night. Yeah. Uh, the first probably 30 minutes being outside uh, was absolute hell. Um, you know, the shirt was already soaked. Oh, you yeah. know, the, the, you could start getting the sweat going down your back, your knees, and it was brutal. It was tough. Uh, and I know, yes, we did play in the championship game. We lost 4-3. to three. It was a great baseball oh. game. I'm proud of the boys, but... Uh, that is uh, that is way too hot for my liking. That is way too hot. I think we discussed it. I don't know if we discussed it on the pod, but off air. Perfect weather for me. I'm like a 65 oh, type of guy. Yep. Little clouds. Like I don't. I don't mind. You know when it's warmer, but when you start talking about mid high 80s, 90s, like that for with me humidity. is just with humidity. That for me is just uh, that's not enjoyable. I don't. I don't like to do it. And for all the times that I've thought to myself. You know, especially during the winter, once January hits in February and we've had like two, three straight months of, you know, 10 degree weather, I've thought to myself, you know, 
Gosh, it'd be nice to live down in Florida. But yesterday, after experiencing <laughs> seventy or ninety-eight degrees, it was like, okay, I'm, I'm glad I live up here. Right? That's, that's hot for us. That's normal for them down there. I don't know how people do it, but um, that was a tough one, man. It was it was a hot it was a hot one for sure. Yeah. Now I know um, throughout the course of your career, whether it was at Eastern uh, Green Bay or Detroit. You never really had to practice in what we would say or, or call as a as a warm environment. No. Um, now you did have warm, warm days um, and a, an occasional what seventy five, maybe eighty during training camp. I yeah. remember coming from Washington, Catch where a couple eighties. It was ninety five degrees, you know, and and full on humidity. It was absolutely miserable. Then I came to Detroit and literally. The first day of training camp, the first year I was in Detroit, I saw a couple of dudes walk out in hoodies, and I thought, "This is I am I am definitely not in D.C. anymore." Um, how did you deal with the heat as a player? You know, it was. Were you an ice tub guy? I, oh yeah, I mean you kind of have to, right? I think uh, it took me a few years to realize how magical the ice tub is. <laughs> I mean, just like a complete. Um, you know, rejuvenation of the body. Were um, you in there. the guy that, hey, it was one foot in, you got used to it, two feet in, and then, you know, it, it took a little bit of uh, uh, convincing to get the boys in? No, I mean, uh, or I, you I, just went, you just went all in. Honestly, I was just, I would get up to my neck for about 10 seconds, uh-huh. um, just get that initial shock just out of the way. And then stand there about waist deep, you know, 15, 20 minutes. After, I mean, the first, what, two minutes, three minutes is the hardest. They're pretty but miserable. Once you get used to it, I mean, it's uh, it does it does wonders. But I think uh, I was a big rotational guy towards the end of my career. You know, five minutes in the hot tub, five in the cold. Oh, a little right? contrast battle. Yeah, and you, you, we used to, in Green Bay, we'd bring the uh, backgammon boards into the hot tub and the cold tub, and that just kind of made the time go by a little quicker. But, yeah, I was, uh, I'll tell you what, I think the hottest – experience I ever had playing was gosh it's probably a tie one year I think 2016 we opened up the season in Jacksonville yeah uh, you know mid-September game in Jacksonville and we were worried the whole week you know because we were looking at the forecast and it's like 65 in Green Bay and it's like 95 down in Florida and um, so it was in the back of our minds and we get there and I'll never forget we got we're out there for pre-game warm-ups and it's cloudy and it's breezy and we're like, oh, my gosh, like, thank God it's not, you know, just blaring sun. And we're out there in warm-ups, and it kind of gave us a little spark. Then you go back in the locker room for, what, that 15 minutes before the game starts. We came out. That wind was gone. <laughs> that sun was out. And it oh, was yeah. it was hot. And we also had one other game I played in Miami. I think this one was October. And, uh, you know, it's brutal on the body. I mean, I laid in the training you know, training room with – uh, about six other guys after the game and just ice packs all over your body trying to cool down. I mean, it was absolutely brutal. And I tell people to this day, I mean, I would rather play football in 15-degree weather than in 90-degree heat. Because oh. as a big guy, it just completely wears you out. It drains you. I mean, no matter how great a shape you're in, you're not prepared for something like that unless your body's acquainted to it. And obviously being in Detroit and Green Bay, you don't get acquainted to that heat. So yeah. it's, a, it's a little bit of a body shock when you go through it. But, uh, no, I was, uh, I was lucky enough to play most of the games up north and at least training camps up north uh, because, it, I mean, imagine Houston, you know, imagine Miami. 
in training camp, you know, in August and late July. How about in New Orleans? 100 degrees in New Orleans. And I know a lot of these teams now, you know, tend to travel north for some portions of the training camp just to try to get out of the heat. But uh, I tell you what, I mean, that that would that would wear me out. That would absolutely wear me out. And I'm glad I didn't have to go through it. Yeah, it was. I mean, you 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 always had to weigh in, weigh out of every practice. And in D.C., it was nothing to lose anywhere between ten and fifteen pounds in a practice. And you knew it was all water weight. Um, you know, don't don't everybody rush out thinking it's a great weight loss right. uh, program. But uh, you know, you would we would have to then weigh in before the afternoon practice. And if you didn't rehydrate enough and and regain enough weight they would hold a bunch of guys out for that afternoon practice. Um, it just was was absolutely miserable. But you know, as we continue to talk about this year's Lions team, we do have some news and notes that we want to cover. Um, this past weekend, John Penasini, um, going into his third year, uh, had a conversation with head coach Dan Campbell and decided that he was going to move on um, and pursue other avenues in his life. Um, is not going to return for his third year in the NFL. How much does that affect the Lions' defensive line? In, in not necessarily in terms of starting production, but in in terms of depth. Yeah, I mean, as far as depth, I think obviously it's a bit of a sting. You know, I think obviously Ali McNeil came in and kind of took over that nose tackle position last year as a rookie. Um, Penasini was always a good run stopping type. Big body. D-tackle, nose tackle, eating up the center guards. Um, but, you know, he wasn't – let's be honest. I mean, you know, he wasn't going to be a 30-40 snap-a-game type guy. I mean, he's that type of guy probably come give you 10-15. So there's definitely going to be a small hole there to fill. And when you look at the roster, you say, well, who else is really going to be that nose tackle type guy? I don't know. I mean, you know, Michael Brockers has had experience with it in the past, um, especially now with them switching more to a – uh, 4-3 attack style, penetrating, getting the backfield type. Um, you know, you can put a athletic nose tackle in there behind Lee McNeil and still have, you know, productive success. Um, so I don't know. I mean, it's definitely, look, it, it, I think it was a surprise to everybody. It was definitely a surprise to me when I saw it, especially when you see somebody at such a young age, like we, like you mentioned, going into his third year, uh, walk away from the game. But, look, I don't think it's going to hurt him too much. I think, obviously, uh, you know, he was a well-liked guy in that locker room, worked his ass off, all the all the positive things that people said about him. Um, but, you know, when it comes to production, I think they found enough other players that came in um, that can fill that role. So, uh, you know, it's it's sad to see him leave, sucks, but at the same time, you know, it's part of the game. And mm-hmm. uh, whoever that is that's going to get an opportunity to maybe, uh, you know, play that nose tackle type position and go spill – go spill uh, Ali McNeil for maybe 10, 15 plays a game is going to have a great opportunity heading into training camp to earn a spot. Well, and as one guy leaves, it opens up a roster spot. Another guy's going to fill that. And they didn't go defensive line. Uh, They went tight end uh, and signed former Michigan tight end, former Carolina Panthers second-round pick Devin Funches. Uh, he has been a wide receiver his entire NFL career at Michigan. His first couple of years, he was a tight end, switched to receiver. As I mentioned, he was a second uh, uh, second round pick for the Carolina Panthers. They sign him as a tight end, and I'm curious because obviously it's an opportunity. His probably his last opportunity 
in the league because in 2018, he played a full season. Since then, he played one game in 2019, ended up on IR for the rest of the season, uh, ended up at your old uh, place in, in Green Bay, and opted out in 2020 because of the coronavirus. Yeah. And then in 2021, this past season, got, I think it was a hamstring injury and never ended up seeing the field in Green Bay, uh, becomes available, and the Detroit Lions have now signed him, uh, most people would have thought, as a receiver. They signed him as a tight end. What does he bring to this team, and can he make that transition, do you feel, from wide receiver to tight end? Well, it's going to be tough, obviously, in this offense and the style of football that Dan Campbell um, likes to implement on his offense, you're going to have to run block, right? And when you're a receiver that's switching to tight end, that can be a big yeah. jump. <laughs> that can be a big jump <laughs> yes. learning how to uh, uh, you know, go from blocking corners and safeties to now blocking defensive ends, outside linebackers, and, and those type of guys. So, um, look, I think it's definitely going to be a challenge for him to make an impact and maybe make this team. Um, but we're all familiar with – uh, what he's done in the past and, you know, the playmaking ability that we've seen. Now, I think it is a little worrisome because we haven't seen it, like you said, in so long. I mean, obviously, you know, being a local guy and going to Michigan, we saw it in college. Uh, even a couple years there, uh, you know, first couple years in the league, I think, was with Carolina, you know, was making some some good plays. Uh, yeah. kind of deep ball guy, go high point it and be a red zone type target. So I, I don't know. I mean, how much can they tap into – uh, you know, what he was, like you said, you know, three, four, five years ago is going to be, uh, we're just going to have to wait and see. But look, I think it's a low risk, um, you know, signing. Could be a high reward signing if he comes in and, and adds more production to you uh, from the receiver standpoint, from the tight end position. But I think it's going to be a challenge. I do. Anytime you see guys uh, switch positions at this point in their career, mm -hmm. it's kind of like, all right, this doesn't work out, you know, it uh, might be done. So it's going to be a long road for him, I think, to make the team. But like I said, I think it's a very low-risk signing. You, maybe you can find something out of him. Maybe you can tap into that potential that we've we've seen from him in the past. Maybe he can be an asset to you offensively. It's just it's going to be a, it's going to be a mountain to climb for him. It'll be a mountain to climb in regards to blocking, and it'll be interesting to see how Ben Johnson, um, their offensive coordinator, plans on utilizing him because if the issue over the past few years has simply been staying healthy, obviously they have TJ Hawkinson. They have some other guys that could go in there as their blocking tight ends. He can come in and you could put him in motion. Um, you know, and, and if your plan is to try and keep him healthy, maybe he only gets 10, 15 reps a game. Uh, but it spells TJ Hawkinson every once in a while. It provides some more speed at that position, and I'm just trying to look on the positive side of things. Um, and, you know, he could be used in certain packages where maybe he never really puts his hand in the dirt uh, and is that, that true blocking tight end. But the speed that he offers, because he is 6'4", he's listed at 225. Um, if you're going to put your hand in the dirt, he's going to have to uh, hit training table. And, uh, and bulk up a little bit from that 225 weight, I, I believe. I don't know that you can play tight end in this league effectively as a blocker under 240. Yeah, no, I'm um, with you. And, and, and like you said, I mean, thinking about the positives, I mean, for even Funches, I mean, you know, you look at the roster and the depth right now that they have at tight end, it's TJ Hawkinson and then really who else? You know, I know they obviously drafted James Mitchell 
uh, the tight end from Virginia Tech, coming off an injury. Um, you know, Brock Wright got some playing time last year, uh, had a couple nice plays. Zilstra, you know, don't really know what you have there. And then uh, who's the other guy? Garrett Griffin, you know, fourth-year kid out of Air Force. Don't know much about him. So you look at yep. the depth that they have at that tight end spot, and seems like that number two spot's wide open, you know. And some teams even keep three. And with the packages that the Lions run, wouldn't be surprised to keep, you know, to see him keep three. So Funches can add some versatility to that room, uh, maybe become a uh, red zone target. You know, yeah. I think he, I think he would definitely add some value. But um, when it comes to blocking, too, I mean, look, I mean, how many times last year did we see, you know, packages with, uh, you know, Matt Nelson out at tight end or yeah. another offensive lineman out at yeah. tight end? You know, throwing they, Taylor Decker the yeah, ball. Yeah, they like having, you know, they like having <laughs> six offensive linemen on the field. So maybe that kind of eases the uh, transition for tight ends, knowing that, you know, you won't have to. Uh, be asked to do that much but I think look you you know you look at the depth and and that number two spot behind Hawkinson it's going to be wide open probably all through training camp so if you're Funchess I think you obviously look at that too and say um, maybe there might be a realistic chance that you can come in and compete for a spot. Well I do want to talk about the offensive line because this one this episode is going to be right up uh, our alley Uh, we want to talk about where this offensive line ranks. There's a few lists that have come out and talked about whether it's the top 100 players. It's the fact that this this is an offensive line when healthy that should be good. We'll get to that in a moment. Uh, TJ, I mentioned the offensive line. Um, pro football focus, um, and you could take their numbers for what it's worth, their evaluation. It's very analytic. Uh, they rely a lot on numbers. And for offensive lines... I don't necessarily know that that's a great correlation to production. Um, And there's a lot of different ways they go about it. We're not going to get into that, but they came out with their ranking. They ranked the offensive lines in tiers. There were seven tiers. Number one tier is labeled as minor or no weaknesses. And that's where we find the Detroit Lions. The number one offensive line, and this is going to be interesting the first week of the season because you're going to have a, a head-to-head competition. Uh, number one offensive line, Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, and I want to get your reaction in just a moment. Number two offensive line, and it's an offensive line that I have talked about quite a bit over the last couple of years. That's the, the uh, Cleveland Browns. Now, they do have one major change in their offensive line, and that is their center, J.C. Treader, is out, um, and Nick Harris is in. That's the, the big change for them. Um, but number three on their list in their Tier 1 is the Detroit Lions, and I think most of us are very familiar with the starting lineup, but uh, if you're not, it's left tackle Taylor Decker, left guard Jonah Jackson, center Frank Ragnow, uh, right guard Hal Vitae and right tackle Penny Sewell. Um, let's talk about those five guys for just a moment. Um, Taylor Decker, Frank Ragnow, we never really got a chance to see this offensive line last year operate at full capacity because Frank was lost, I believe, in week five. Decker was out the first, first eight, seven or eight. Nine weeks, seven, eight, nine yeah. weeks, something like that. Um, came back four, just five, after yeah. the bye. Yeah. Um, so your initial impression of this offensive line, knowing that it's year two for Penny Sewell, um, and just having a healthy rag now in Decker, 
What are your expectations, and are they are they right? Is this a top, not just top five, but top three offensive line? I mean, I think it's right on par with what a lot of us are thinking. Um, and it's no different than going into last year, right? I think we all said that uh, the strength of this team was going to be the offensive line. Now, the disappointing thing, like you said, was they'd never played a game together. You know, Frank ended up missing a bunch of games, and Taylor missed the first eight. We never got to see them as a as a full unit. Um, but the good part about it was we got to see what kind of depth they had, right? You got to see what Evan Brown was about. You got to see what Matt Nelson was about, right? We got to see uh, even, uh, you know, Tommy Kramer coming in and playing a couple games, right? I think you got to see uh, some guys that showed that they can play in the NFL, right? And that's obviously great for your depth. But the starters for me, it's my expectation is, look – stay healthy, right? And I know that's something that's so funny to say because you can't control it. You know, you can't control getting rolled up on in a pile. You can't control, you know, Taylor Decker last year. I think the reports were, you know, his finger got caught in a jersey in some freak accident, right? Well, obviously you try to stay healthy, but for me – it's just kind of one of those things that you you, you say it's it's kind of got to be a must, you know. Mm-hmm. Like we just got <laughs> we got to be able to see these five guys compete together for multiple games. If not, hopefully the majority of the season injuries are going to happen every uh, every couple games or so. You hope they're not the devastating ones, but uh, my expectation for them is to be. Uh, the leaders of this team, be the tone setters, you know, go out there and be the nasty, physical, tough-ass dudes that uh, kind of identify and, you know, characterize your football team. Um, Because that's – every coach tells you that. I mean, every player knows it. You know, the tempo of practices, the tempo of games, it's set by, you know, your front seven, your offensive line, your defensive line. And for these guys um, that all have a couple years under their belt now – uh, playing together for the most part, um, look, I expect a big jump. I expect a big jump from Panay Sewell. I expect a big jump from uh, Jonah Jackson, who had a really nice season and got into the Pro Bowl last year as an alternate. Yeah, I thought it was well-deserved. I, I expect another big jump from Vitae. I think last year uh, he came a long way in his run blocking particularly, mm-hmm. and I know he was injured a little bit in that 2020 uh, season when he first got signed and took some uh, criticism, but you know I expect another jump from him. And obviously uh, Taylor Decker um, you know, has probably not gotten the recognition that maybe he deserves throughout his career, um, but he's still a young guy. You know, you talk about – uh, you know, I think, what, 28 years old and going into year seven, I think it yeah. is. You know, I think it's time for him to kind of cement himself as not only a, a top 10 left tackle in this league, but maybe as a top five guy. I think he's got that type of talent. So uh, my expectation for them is just, just really, um, like I said, I mean, set the identity of your football team. They, it is it, it, Their strengths fit in, in my mind, fit in perfectly with what – Dan Campbell wants to do offensively and what Ben Johnson wants to do offensively. And that's run the rock, that's pound the rock, that's just beat your ass, uh, you know, and then hit you over the top of the play-action pass. Um, so I've, I have high expectations. I know I'm not the only one. And I think those guys in that room would agree, right? I think if you tell any of them, hey, what do you think about being ranked third, they probably wouldn't care. They understand that on paper, obviously, it looks great, but you got to go out there and you got to produce. Um, but my expectations are high. I think this is uh, – I, I think, you know, PFF I've obviously had issues with in yeah, the past. we but, all do. You know, even you could tell me, you know, just some random, uh, you know, outlet ranking offensive lines, and I would I would, I would, would probably put the lines in the top five as well. Now they just got to stay healthy and uh, 
you know, I think that's going to be the, the biggest hurdle, staying healthy in that group and, and staying consistent, uh, you know, with those five guys that they have starting. Yeah, and I, and I think Frank Ragnow and Penny Sewell should be ranked as top two or three at their position. Um, now, you're not going to see that from Frank right now because of the games he missed last year. And you might not see it initially from Penny Sewell because he's simply going into his second year. Uh, but I do think that those guys have that in them to be the top two or three at their position. Uh, I also believe, as you mentioned, Taylor Decker is – most people will probably say he's a 8-9-10 a type of guy right now as it would compare to other left tackles, but should be a little bit higher. And here's where I think he he has an advantage of making that leap into a, you know, maybe top five, top six or seven type of player at that position when you have an offensive line as well balanced as this. You don't have to – you can look at a defense and say, okay, well, their right defensive end is is their best rusher. How do we neutralize him? Well, we can do that and win one-on-one matchups with Taylor Decker, but we can also give him some help with a, a chip from the tight end with how we're going to line up uh, you know, at formations. We can do that with a chip from a running back because we don't necessarily have to worry about Penny Sewell on the right side. He can handle his guy one on one, and vice versa. When you have when your best rusher is on the left, or you're going to flip flipping them around, you can address those guys, knowing that on the other side, you should win that one on one matchup, ninety eight, ninety nine percent of the time. And as I know, you know, playing on the inside, those guys have sideboards anyway, so you shouldn't have to help a guard or a center. <laughs> I mean, you're playing inside a phone booth. You should win that matchup well, all the you're time. Playing, I mean, a lot of guards you're playing against, you know, defensive ends on third down that run four threes. Oh, it's a little different than it was. In well, the I guess when you are as slow as you guys are, <laughs> that you do need some help. But, um, you know, and, and when you have a balanced offensive line of, hey, both tackles and center are the strength of your offensive line, then you throw in a player like Jonah Jackson, who last year played at a Pro Bowl level. You mentioned Vitae is playing better. You surround those guys with really good players, their level of play is going to come up. And when you have an offense or you have a team where the Lions are right now, and you and I have both been very optimistic about what we expect this team to be this year and the improvements that we expect. Last year, three-win team. Didn't play together with this offensive line as a unit. Now, all of a sudden, if they can stay healthy for a majority of these games, and I'm not saying that Taylor Decker, maybe he misses one or two games, but you've got Matt Nelson in there. And again, it goes to you've got Penny Sewell on one side. You know you're going to win that matchup. You can help a player like Matt Nelson, or if he's in there for, uh, for Penny Sewell. But it gives this team, as a three-win team, I believe – because you can control the tempo of the game, you could control the style of play of the game a lot more than you could last year, especially with your quarterback playing and understanding the offense, playing to his strengths more like we have heard from Ben Johnson. Now all of a sudden, I think an, a, a top-five offensive line should improve your record by at least four wins. And so right now you're sitting at, if you're building on what they did last year, at seven wins. You're going to have a couple of games where it can go either way. If you steal one or two of those, you're sitting at eight, 
nine wins. That's part of why at least I'm very optimistic about the improvements this team can make. Then you throw in the talent that they've acquired at receiver. Um, you know, if Jamison Williams becomes healthy at some point this year, uh, Amon Ross St. Brown takes the next step. You got DJ Shark. If he can stay healthy, there's a lot of ifs in there, but all those come together. Now you're looking at an offense that could should be, in my opinion, in the top half of offenses in the NFL. I'm not going to say they're a top 10 or a top 5 offense. I'm not going to go that far. But they should be able to control the tempo of the game. They should be able to score points because this is a defense last year, and we've highlighted it here on the podcast a number of different times, where if you hold an opponent to under 20 points, that should be a win. And last year there were six different times where they did that and did not win those games. So it gives you a chance to be successful. And you can't address every need that you have in the offseason, especially when you have so many needs like the Lions did coming out of last year. They've addressed some of them on the defense. They didn't really, in my opinion, address the linebacker position as it needs to be addressed. But, again, you can't address all of them. They didn't necessarily address the secondary. But if you get better play out of Jeff Okuda, you've got Tracy Walker back there, uh, Amani, uh, you know, 2-4. You've got him back there as well. You should get better play. But it all centers around the production and the ability to control the ball on the offensive side of things with that offensive line. Yeah, I'm with you. And I think the biggest – impact that it can potentially have is you know allowing your revamped wide receiver group to have success and that meaning you know when you get into a third and long um, when you get into a you know have to have it situation maybe a two-minute drill at the end of the half or at the end of the game you don't need to keep you know a tight end to help block you don't need to keep your running back into chip and thump and block right you can now get four or five guys out into the route combination uh, because you know your offensive line is going to hold up more times than not um, taking care of the rush. And that's teams that really hurts that you see when they have a, a weak offensive line or maybe a position that, you know, right tackle struggling. Right now you're seeing a tight end stay into thump. You're seeing a running back also go over there to thump. You're taking two guys out of the route tree and you only got three guys uh, potentially, yep. you know, versus five defensive backs trying to get open. Now you have the offensive line that can block. I mean, that's going to open up a lot more uh, possibilities for everybody else to get out and, and just make plays, especially when you have to have it in the passing game. So, um, look, I think, uh, I, man, I, I'm intrigued to see what this offense is going to look like, not only, you know, in training camp and in the preseason games, but once the season starts getting rolling. Because we saw last year they kind of played to their strength, meaning, you know, just running the ball um, as many times as they possibly could you know, as long as the game was close. Um, but it'll be interesting to see what kind of changes are made this year because now you have receivers, right? Now you have the healthy offensive line, we hope, you know, going into the season. Are, are they going to still try to stack in 22 personnel and just run the ball, you know, 80% of the game? Or are they going to open it up a little bit more and, and let Jared Goff and the new receivers kind of, uh, you know, make some plays in the back end? It'll be interesting to see. I think there's definitely going to be some changes, but um, – they're in a good – I mean, that's a good spot. That's a good spot to be in. That offensive line being the strength of not only your your offense but your team, um, it's going to open up a lot, a lot of possibilities to be, make plays as far as the passing game is concerned. Yeah, and, and here's where I think um, 
And this has nothing to do with personnel, but I think another big jump is just going to be in blitz pickup and awareness of this offensive line. Because, Frank, uh, you and I both know him well, and I think there's you'd be hard-pressed to find a guy that can direct – protections as well as Frank can can protect those or can direct those but for Penny Sewell in year two instead of a being focused on that guy across from him where he's lined up and trying to pick out okay is he got pressure on his hand is he leaning this way is he a little bit further back should I anticipate a game now he can start identifying okay where are the linebackers what does that mean to what my guy is doing where are the the safeties and the corners are um, you know, in what is the the coverage? What's it look like? Um, because that can really tell you exactly where some of these blitzes are coming from. And when you have, when you take that step mentally in year two, uh, which is what I expect Penny Sewell to be able to do, that's really going to give Jared Goff the confidence that hey, those five guys up front, as you mentioned, hey, tight ends are out, uh, receivers are out, running backs are out. We've got we've got a block six with five. And we all know exactly who that sixth guy is going to be, who's that unblocked rusher, as they can be all on the same page. And you can have that anticipation from every guy up front. I think that'll be a huge advantage going into year two for Penny Sewell. And if you can keep everybody healthy, a huge advantage for this offense. I think Uh, you're giving tackles too much credit. Tackles just block ends, dude. Dude, <laughs> I had a coach. I had a coach, Joe Philbin. It was, I'll tell you what, I mean, just being honest, you know, most of Blitz pickups, you know, the guards in the center have to be the ones that kind of point it out and get it going. You're kidding me. I right? had a I had a coach. I don't know. Who I swear to God, with. Joe Philbin was a great offensive coordinator. Um, he's, you know, after one game, we're in there watching film and he's like, guards and center, you guys pick up the Blitz. Tackles, just block the ends. Okay, <laughs> so I think you're giving the tackles a little too much credit by reading coverages and reading all that. <laughs> Just block the end, all right? That's all you got to do. Pass, set, and block the end. Oh God! <laughs> I tell you what. Oh, uh, we'll we'll get into reading defenses, understanding where the blitzes are coming from, because the center. I know they don't have their head down between their legs anymore. Everybody's doing the silent count and different guards. I I don't know that I ever played next to a guard that could understand where a blitz was freaking coming from. Well, blitzes didn't exist back when you used to play. Right. Games come right. a long way in the last 30 years. <laughs> F you, pal. Uh, we'll continue to uh, dissect this Lions team uh, as we continue to move forward to fall camp. Can't wait to get uh, hard knocks in town. Can't wait to start talking about actual live football. We're still a few weeks away, a few months away, uh, but it's going to be here before you know it. So stay tuned here for all your Lions information the news and notes as we break down everything in anticipation for this 2022 football season right here with Lang and Jansen on Necessary Roughness.